Support for Motley Fool Industry Focus comes from our friends at MyID Care Identity Protection. The Equifax breach gave identity thieves access to the personal data for millions of Americans. Now is the time to protect yourself. 25 million Americans rely on MyID Care, and right now our listeners can get 15% off. Go to myidcare.com fool to enroll. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and you're listening to the healthcare edition of the show. I have a very special guest calling in today. His name is Bruce Linton. He is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Canopy Growth Corporation, which is the largest pure play marijuana stock. Bruce, I am so glad to have you on the show today. How's it going? Oh, it's great. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. So we have mentioned Canopy on this show before, but for our newer listeners, can you give us a quick rundown of what your company does? Sure. So uh, Canopy trades on the TSX under the ticker WEED. We operate in six countries, and uh, in Canada we operate as well in six provinces. And uh, the governance or the public policy of Canada that sort of led the opportunity is uh, we've had medical access in Canada since 2001. Uh, in 2013, they updated it so the production of cannabis was governed, in a sense, like narcotics, and uh, allowed us to register patients and ship directly to them across the country. And because of that, uh, I'll call it federally, uh, state, and local compliance, when countries like Germany or Denmark or Brazil uh, go federally legal and look for a source of originating product, they come to Canada and they've come to us first uh, for each of these kinds of jurisdictions. And so that's allowed us to become international and uh, fairly substantial with about 650 employees and, uh, you know, uh, revenues that seem to double pretty much every year. Before we turn to some of the intricacies of operating in Canada, you mentioned the international relationships that you have. And I want to ask you, which of those countries are you most excited about? Well, as a region, Europe is really moving rationally. So, um, you know, there's activities in South America, there's some things going on in Australia. But uh, if you look around the entire European region, it's starting to become more common for each country to have what they call an Office of Medicinal Cannabis, which is essentially the bureaucratic structure to enable cannabis to become regulated in that country. More of them have that than don't, and they range from Germany to Denmark. So you know if Denmark's doing it, it's not very long until you'll see Finland and Sweden and other regional areas, uh, with Germany doing uh, quite an aggressive and, uh, I'll call it, rapidly developing uh, infrastructure. The rest of Europe generally looks at Germany and says if they're doing it, it's probably pretty rational. And so I think uh, that region, and led by Germany, is the next big wave. Uh, we don't currently participate in the U.S. Uh, because of our method of operation, which is we only will go where we're federally in compliance. Right. Um, and it, so many of our listeners are United States-based, and so that is definitely something to note, is that you have made it very clear that you're not interested in operating in countries in which marijuana is not legal at the federal level. Even though it's legal in 29 different states and there's recreational use legal in eight, it's still labeled as a Schedule One narcotic. And so you're not interested. And you know one of the big reasons there, I know, is because the TSX has issued notice that companies with stocks listed on their exchange that are operating in uh, violation of the U.S. federal laws related to marijuana are no longer compliant with the listing requirements, and so they could potentially get kicked off the exchange. Yeah, I think that, that there's, that's one of probably 20 reasons why we don't do it. Um, they also include if I'm going to enter other geographies, so if I wish to work in Germany, and if in their application or uh, request for uh, responses, if they ask the question, are you in full federal compliance in all the jurisdictions you operate, and the answer no, how far do you think you get in that process? Yep, yeah, that's a great point. 
And so I think that exiting prohibition is really what we're all trying to do. And if you do that, you, you can only exit prohibition when you act lawfully. Right. Playing by the rules. Something that I want to dig into the details uh, behind Germany a little bit. So from my understanding, the country needs to import marijuana while it sets up its regulatory processes for internal production. Once that framework is set up, how does that change the relationship that you have in Germany? Yeah, so you, you got that uh, bang on, and the, the, we're kind of like priming the system. And then in most countries, you'll find that the intent is to actually produce in those countries. And there's a bunch of reasons for it in terms of, in terms of uh, economic. Uh, you know, this is a good economic development tool, but there's also treaty reasons. So what will happen is each country, and Germany will be the same, uh, if you're operating there and you have a wholly owned subsidiary, you could be issued a license. And if you're issued a license, then it's sort of like um, creating the bottling plant for the beverage of choice, which is a, you know, you'll have your Irish one, your German one, your Danish one, and in each country we'll end up creating, if permitted, uh, the growing uh, extraction, packaging, all the infrastructure necessary. Right now we own, in Germany, licenses to import cannabis and licenses to distribute cannabis. We just are missing the one which is to grow it. Yep, and I'm sure as... uh the regulations progress there. You'll be following the model that you've already established in Canada for expanding and acquiring and working with smaller growers to try to expand that network. Yeah, I find that with a rapidly uh, changing, growing, evolving business, to have a partnership uh, where it's forty nine fifty one is not a very good idea. So in all geographies, what we do is we look for people who have some benefit and an economic opportunity for them, but that it becomes 100% controlled. And so that's really our operating model. It's, uh, it's not that we're trying to be difficult. It's just we want to go fast. Yep, makes sense. So uh, I want to focus a little bit more on Canada, which is where the majority of your business lies. Canada is about to go through potentially a really enormous shift in marijuana usage in the country. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's uh, been governed, as I mentioned, since 2001 as medical. It was a Supreme Court decision. Over the last five years, it's been governed where it's a well-structured delivery system, which is what Canopy is part of. We have about 240,000, 250,000 Canadians who've gone to a doctor and get a medical uh, access form. And uh, that number seems to keep growing. And we would expect, as we do more and more work to evolve and create, uh, I'll call it really true medical products, where it's uh, you know soliciting and, and being able to claim a response against an indication, that number will keep growing. It'll be very disruptive to a lot of other medicinal ingredients. Uh, but in July of next year, 2018, the federal government is enacting a method of access which is called adult recreational. And so we'll go from having 200 or 250,000 patients now, maybe next year at this time we have four, 450,000, and then some number of Canadians, and I think quite a few, maybe three or four million, are going to be sufficiently curious about being able to buy federally approved cannabis at provincially uh, regulated stores that they're going to try some, uh, which means they're going to buy some. And so the size of the market and the range of products is growing, you know, uh, pretty huge uh, year on year, if you think about the, the current size today versus next year at this time. The total, total addressable market ha- will completely shift once this happens. What has your company done to prepare? Well, we started off in a Hershey factory about five years ago. I bought her six, and with it served all of Canada, and then they left. Um, and so I also started with a name called Tweed. And so when you put Tweed inside a chocolate factory and you become the first company to go public, you begin a bunch of steps that build credibility and brand. And then a fellow uh, named Snoop Dogg approached us about two and a half or three years ago to say that he thought our brand was interesting and he wanted to work with us, and that became a pretty big splash. 
And then about five or six weeks ago, uh, we concluded and announced an association with Constellation Brands that you would you know, probably associate with wines uh, of high quality and Corona as a beer and things like that. And uh, they're working with us in a relationship where they own about 9.9%. But all of these things are stacked so that we can actually create the first exiting prohibitionist branded products that people will walk into stores that are fully legal and fully validated and make consumption choices that I think if we do a great job in the first year, we probably have a brand loyalty that lasts uh, for a generation. And so that's kind of what we've been working on. The Constellation uh, announcement was huge. That made national headlines. It was a $245 million investment. How exactly does that fold into the strategy? Um, This is going to sound alarming, but it's not actually about the money. What we really started talking to these guys about was, how do we segment customers? How do we approach them? What are the, you know, what are the preferences by price point, serving size? And we had a great dialogue. And they're they're well, they're a Fortune 500 company. I would say their uh, DNA and behavior is out of an extraordinarily entrepreneurial, aggressive company. And we love them. And so we thought if we could work with them on that level, them investing would actually be a positive. And so uh, it kind of came together with the cash and it took about eight or nine or ten months of interacting to uh, conclude what we thought was the right balance for both parties. And do you have any plans for products, new products? Well, what we're, what we're doing is, uh, on a global basis, they are our adult uh, beverage partner. So if you, uh, as an adult, are permitted to buy cannabis in a beverage format and it's coming from Tweed, it'll be with those guys. And we're working as their cannabis partner, and we fit as a cannabis partner because we don't, as I mentioned earlier, we do not contravene any U.S. laws, which is why they could invest, but it's also why, you know, substantial U.S. funds can invest in Canada, in Canopy, because they're not sending their money north of the border to have it reroaded back to south of the border. And uh, that, that's a pretty big deal, because I think that's going to be the basis by which institutions uh, choose to invest in the space. It'll be those that meet the TMX or TSX criteria and those that don't. Yeah, it does seem like your company has been very deliberate about preserving an upstanding image and really just having a good reputation. And this is something that I think is also going to be important at the individual consumer level um, in terms of differentiating your brand, which leads me to the next question that I wanted to ask, which is, how do you reach new customers and how do you market and maintain an an individual name within a fairly large market? Yeah, so it's... um these are the sorts of things, because we can't um, run TV ads saying our product's great, we're, we're governed a bit like somewhere between tobacco and, uh, and alcohol. What you try to do is that a lot of earned media, you're trying to have a narrative and continue to get it out there. And we've done uh, a pretty good job of making sure that Canadians and now many people in the world are familiar with that brand. Uh, then you make sure that the format of the product and the way that it's provided is what they expect in the brand promise. And so initially, the products that will be sold under Adult Access or Rec will be pretty simple, um, but they're going to evolve rapidly. And they will be, in my opinion, beverages, and they will be uh, vaporizable products and things that, uh, if done properly, really are, um, I'll call it clean, sophisticated, uh, consistent. And so that's on the Adult Access. And then on the medical side, the way the brand builds is we have a division called Canopy Health, and for about two years, uh, we've been laying out research plans, beginning research plans, filing intellectual property patents, and working our way through uh, creating what we think will be quite disruptive uh, cannabinoid-based products uh, for a a range of indications. And the first one, which we put our 
27 patents against is sleep. And I think that you'll find that the brand development in medical is very different than in adult access because the big kerfuffle for people in medical is, does this actually have any, any evidence of efficacy and why isn't it a medicine? Well, my response has historically been that criminals don't typically sponsor uh, medical trials. We are running a real business and we're beginning those. And so over the next year or two or three, I think you'll find in the medical side a range of very disruptive products that when proven through Canada and the processes here will be protectable and usable around the globe. And what's the current state of that pipeline? How many different indications are you working in and, and what sorts of phases are we looking at? So we're working on uh, four human indications and one um, I'll call companion animal um, because there's good carryover information. Uh, in Canada with the 240, 250,000 patients who are on this Really what they are is in a, effectively a phase four clinical trial. They are consuming a medicine. However, they are not structured against a target data set. So we did a pretty broad survey of about 6,000 of our current um, patients to see why are they consuming it, how frequently, what indication, and then we started narrowing down which strains against which indications so we could start the process of the patents, which are filed. Next up, we put um, a range of people, 60 to 80, into observational trials. Think of an overnight sleep trial. And that data set we'll gather from that, which will be you know, a double-blind approach, will give us enough information that we can actually, we think, validate uh, many or all of the patents that we filed with the novel data set. And so that's the kind of work program. And then you rinse and repeat against the next three indications, which we haven't publicly disclosed. And concurrently, we have a division which is um, uh, pet veterinarian care. And I think that that market um, will have a pretty good response to cannabinoids, both with uh, the canines and the veterinarian uh, community. That'll be really interesting to watch. Support for Motley Fool Industry Focus comes from our friends at MyID Care Identity Protection. The holidays are a time of increased risk for identity theft. Holiday shopping means billions of payment transactions and cyber criminals want a piece of the action, which means it's more important than ever to protect yourself. MyID Care provides concierge-style service and has an incredible 100% success rate for identity recovery. With 24-7 monitoring of your information, you can join the 25 million Americans who trust MyID Care and spend your holidays celebrating instead of stressing. Our listeners can get 15% off by visiting myidcare.com fool. So uh, I have a, a broader theoretical question for you about Canada and the full legalization of marijuana there, and specifically what sort of factors go into the role of the black market and whether you see the black market as a constant source of competition or if you think it's something that will eventually play a fairly minimal role. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about the black market in general. So um, it's very similar to uh, alcohol prohibition changing. So the black market right now is really a minor criminal um, competitor in the eyes of the law enforcement. But as soon as taxation is collected on recreational, I think they'll be perceived probably as someone stealing the government's money. And in Canada, as I think you'll find in America and everywhere else, where there's a new tax line that comes up, there's quite a lot of squabbling over who gets to get what proportion of it, you know, municipal, state, or federal. But they all want to collect it. And so when we come out of the gate, we'll probably have products that match up with about 40% of the black market offering because we're not selling vapes, we're not selling, you know, some very uh, concentrated products. Over time, meaning 18 to 24 months, I expect that the uh, governance model will allow us to introduce additional products which will compete more directly with all of the black market. And uh, the price points and taxations aren't so extreme that I think we'll have a price competitive offering and ultimately the difference will be 
most people would prefer not to break laws if they don't need to, and most people would like to source a supply that is certain, and it doesn't contain sprays or possibly fecal chloroform or other things that happen in unsupervised production environments. And so I think you'll find that there will always be a black market, but the um, width and depth of it will be quite a lot less in three or four years in Canada than it currently is. That makes a lot of sense. Regarding legal players, who else is in the space that you have your eye on? And do you see the other players as competition? Or maybe are they more potential partners? Or even is this space just so big that there's room for multiple people to all win? Um, Well, it's sort of like driving a fairly fast sports car. Uh, Probably four or five years ago, we pulled the rear view mirror off because it didn't seem to provide much value. And so the way we operate is we're doing what we're doing. We have our strategic plan. We review it uh, almost constantly, and uh, we're building out what we, we, we've done. And the reason we're sort of multiple times uh, advanced in terms of output or patience or market cap of others in the field is uh, we concluded some time ago there was no relevant model to compare to, so we should just actually work and think. And so I would say that um, our primary competitor is the black market, uh, our secondary is time because what's happened is globally so many countries are almost concurrently copying what Canada is doing that we need to be in more places at once than we've historically thought possible. Yeah, something that I think is a really interesting strategic move as you approach all of these different initiatives is the the level of investment that you've made. And it almost kind of seems like profitability is the last thing on your mind. Right now, it's all about (laughs) expansion and making those smart, strategic moves. Well, I I don't think I've been uh, reverse justifying, but I've been telling people for about two or three years that my intention is to avoid profitability until the uh, second half of 2018 now, which is when adult access or adult rec will occur. And uh, we've been building for a massive global medical market, which I think will exceed the recreational market in Canada within a couple of years. And we want to be dominant in both. And so to have achieved early profitability is a bit like raising your arms in celebration after having won the warm-up. I I just don't really get why that would be a good thing. Yeah, Um, I I totally agree there. I think that sort of long-term thinking is something that permeates the Motley Fool. And so I I'm definitely in agreement with you there that that's a smart approach. For an investor looking at your company, since profitability isn't the key metric, what then should investors look for? I think when you exit prohibition, you want to see market share. So you want to know that um, they have the brands and they have the capacity to expand and to keep covering. So if, if I've got 30% market share now in medical, which is approximately what we do, and we'd like to have a little higher market share in um, adult rec, that then works backwards against what's the format of the products. Do they have the technical capabilities to make those products? Do they have the growing production assets necessary to put the inputs into the production processes? So you want to make sure that they can do that. And I, I think we're in pretty good shape for that. Um, when people are making a decision on investing, the challenge is we have a higher market cap than people would justify on a technical basis. But I think they probably only missed the first quarter or a third of the trade on this. Because if we're confident, as we seem to be demonstrating we are in Canada in the two markets, and globally the medical market evolves rapidly and we have the best patented solutions to many of these kind of key high-value indications, I I don't know that they should be so fussed about the current market cap. And At least when I'm speaking to Americans, the market cap appears to be about a third less given our currency exchange. So um, that's probably beneficial uh, to many of the people listening. 
Yeah, market cap stands at roughly 2.8 billion U.S. dollars. Sorry, 2.6 billion U.S. dollars today. To force you to play devil's advocate a little bit, what keeps you up at night? What would be the bear case? Um, well, I'd say the gremlin gets out of the box differently every three to four months. What you need to worry about changes. So um, up until the financing with um, Constellation, I think that was the 14th round of finance I did. And I can tell you in 2013, it was virtually impossible to give away equity in a, sh- a company like this. So that caused quite a few uh, gremlins to escape. Uh, now it's more about making sure our org chart is ready and our process of doing things is ready, uh, not just for Canada, but for the world. So you spend a lot of time wondering, wh- where are we going to find that right VP International to do what we want to do? Or uh, where are we going to get uh, certain assets transitioned in so we can have more throughput on oil extraction. So it, I would say the, the worries now are a lot more operational rather than life and death financial. Okay, makes total sense. Um, as we wrap up, we are almost out of time. I have one final question for you, and it's more of a theoretical one. What do you think is the biggest misconception about marijuana? Well, from reefer, reefer madness forward, um, it's been perceived as uh, as dangerous a thing as it could be. And while it's not a play toy, it shouldn't be viewed as, well, I would sooner take an opioid than take a cannabinoid. And so I think that um, there's a lot of the bias dropping, but for probably half the population, it's very difficult to be objective and rational. And so I, I wouldn't want to pick one specific, you know, is alcohol safer and better than cannabis-based products? Probably not, but it's more socially normal. And so the the, the principal problem with cannabis is that it has a great deal of unfounded bias against it where we have a society that's struggling to rationally react. And so what we're trying to do is take people through that process where they're, they can choose not to consume, but they shouldn't be biased because of an absence of knowledge. And, and it's been a big project, but it seems to be going quite well. Seems like it is definitely trending in that direction. All right, Bruce, uh, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, There's been a ton of interest in your company and the broader legal marijuana space from our fool.com audience and from our listeners. So I really hope that all of our listeners enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thanks. Have a nice day. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! 